You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, you're doing pretty bloody well. The guest that you're about to hear from should need no introduction, but it might. It's Al Jorgensen, Uncle Al, the mastermind behind Ministry and too many other bands to mention. The reason for the conversation was to have a discussion about the new album from Ministry called Americant. We do that, but we talk about a whole heap of other shit as well. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get to it. Here he is, Uncle Al. Here he is, Uncle L. It's Andy Mackay-Smith calling from Queensland in Australia. Sir, how are you? Hello, Andy. I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to chat to you, mate. Before we get things underway, I've just got to congratulate you on a stellar career. I've been following it since at least Psalm 69, and um, Filth Pig is an album that's made its way into my top ten albums of all time. It's an album that I truly love, so I just wanted to get the fanboy in me out of the way before we kick off, if that's okay, (laughs) and say... Thank you so much for creating that, That's fantastic, but it's, it's funny you mentioned Filth Pig because this album, this new album, is so similar in my mind to that album. So hmm. let's talk about it. Okay. So, yeah, I've only listened to it a couple of times because I only got a copy yesterday. So on that note, how is it similar to Filth Pig? Because I know that there's a lot of, I mean, there always is a lot of so-called politically, you know, when I say so-called politically charged lyrics, you're always being very observant and you do have a social conscience. So how is it similar? Is it due to the lyrics or the way that you frame some of the musicality? Uh, it's the way that we frame the musicality. Uh, the lyrics are completely different than Filth Pig. Filth Pig was a personal album, person, personal album, more about... Um, you know, uh, things that were going on personally for me in my life at the time. This is much more of a social activist album. But uh, in the framework of the music and, and the process that it was done, it's the first time since Bill Pig that I've actually been in a studio with a full band recorded live. So in that sense, um, instead of just me and an engineer and computers mm-hmm. um, and, and do all, you know, fix it in the mix later, this is... 75 to 85 percent of this album was recorded in one week in a studio in uh, Los Angeles uh, with a live band. So, in that sense, it's much different than other than, than previous Ministry records since since like mid 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that was that was exciting for me. I, I, God, I really wish you could uh, were able to hear this record a few more times uh, before we talk, and maybe. Um, Maybe we could even set up a follow-up after this yeah, cool, interview, man. where uh, after you listen to it a few times, because I'm I'm that convinced that this is probably the best work I've I've ever done uh, under the name Ministry, anyways. Well, that's a pretty strong statement, if you don't mind me um, giving you that feedback. I mean, you've had some tremendous albums in your time. I mean, I I'm a, even a big fan of your early synth pop work. I think there was a lot of innovation in that that I could hear carry on through a lot of the bands that more more sort of underground pop bands throughout the 80s and into the 90s but you know there's one song in your career that I actually do hold above all others so I want to ask for your comment about the track Paisley because it wasn't released on an album I don't think I had it on a copy of the Escape from LA soundtrack but Paisley tell me about that track you know is it an important track in the canon of work that you've you've released as an artist under ministry? Well, outside of you and me, <laughs> it wasn't. But yes, to, to me, and and it's funny that there, every so often around the world, as, as I travel over the years, I get somebody that comes up and asks me about that song, and and that song, um, 
was um, uh, against better judgment and against uh, all odds. Everyone else hated that song in the band at the time. My management hated really? it. Everyone hated it. And I just, uh, yeah, and I just decided to record it. And uh, I was in a, a real crisis mode personally uh, while recording that song. That song was um, the the last gasp of a, of, of a deranged junkie, basically. Um, I, I didn't know how to beat beat my addiction, and uh, it was a cry for help kind of thing. I don't mean to get all, you know, mushy on you and shit, but uh, no, you're, you're that song meant a lot to me. It, it, it didn't mean a lot to anybody else. So. No, I had... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I've recorded it, and uh, I stand by it. Oh, I'm glad you do, mate. Yeah, there's there's actually a live a copy of a live recording on YouTube where Barker's bass is up so loud that it drowns out everything else. He's playing an acoustic bass. Have you seen that YouTube video? Uh, yeah, that was uh, the bridge benefit where we did an acoustic kind of ministry type of set uh, at the behest of Neil Young, uh, who's a buddy of ours, and uh, oh. He asked us to do his bridge benefit that he has every year or had every year. I don't know if it's still going. I think they just canceled it last year. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had like three days rehearsal and we just decided to do that. And I think we did a couple of Grateful Dead covers and Way Lady Lay and a couple other things to make it all acoustic. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that day was a, that was a trip that day. Trust <laughs> me. But either way, yeah, it was fun. Well, um, as far as to, you know, what my impetus is, is to sing about social activities, I, I, I take breaks from that. I mean, um, uh, and it's funny because everyone pretty much, it, it's, it's kind of frustrating, but everyone associates ministry with like, okay, a right-wing government is in power in the United States, and so ministry's going to make a good hardcore album. Hmm. And then whenever uh, Democrats or left-wing is, uh, we suck, which... You know, things like filth pig and all that, I don't think suck, but what they are is a deviation from just commenting on, on, on uh, you know, uh, social uh, conditions and, and going into more personal things. Hmm. Um, so this, this one um, is also uh, social commentary, but it's, it's not social commentary in, in the usual format that I do it in. This is, this is much more about the, the system that produces people like Donald Trump than it is about Donald Trump. Hmm. I mean, Donald Trump is very low-hanging fruit. I mean, uh, you know, I, I spent uh, almost a decade doing anti-Bush records and railing against Bush to the point to where uh, the third album of that trilogy, I was feeling as sorry for him as I was for us as humanity. Hmm. Um, just realizing that we're all part of this system and and this has been coming out in my music, um, uh, you know, uh, content-wise, uh, lyrically, uh, since um, after From Beer to Eternity into Surgical Meth Machine, I, I just started looking at the bigger picture. Hmm. And, and this album is a much bigger picture, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, rage against the machine, if you will, kind of thing, as opposed to, you know, we hate Bush, we hate Trump, we hate Reagan, we hate you know, Malcolm Turnbull, we hate whoever, you know, uh, that these individuals, 
these individuals are just like cysts, okay? You go to a doctor with a large lump on your neck, mm. and they remove the cyst, but they don't ask you, like, why that cyst is there. You probably have cancer, okay? And, and this album is more about the cancer that invades and permeates all of society as opposed to the figurehead that's espousing its, you know, uh, it, its venom, you know? So, um this album goes a little bit deeper than just like, you know, okay, oh, Al Sachs is a Republican president, and so yeah. he's mad, and he's throwing a tantrum, and he's going to rail against Trump now, okay? It's a little bit more than that. I mean, it, to, yes. to me, this this album is, is, is pretty much like the audio equivalent of, like, say, Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror, right? Where he just, he holds a mirror up to society and says, okay... This is where we're at. This is where we're going. Are you sure you want to be part of this? And uh, and my answer is, of course, uh, you know, <laughs> no fucking way. But um, it, it's 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 more of a purview of, of an overall global sociological condition and the system that produces that, whether it be through social media or politics or religion or what have you. Mm-hmm. What kind of systems have we created? And so. That's that's what this album is much more about. Tell me about the song TV Five Four Chan. Which one? Is it's it's TV Five Four Chan on the new album? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The Four Chan, yeah, yeah. The Four Chan one is, is is a continuation of things that I've been doing um, for for years, uh, well, twenty years now. Uh, we have a series of the TV songs. Uh, starting on Psalm 69, um, uh, it, it went through Phil Pig. Uh, I had it on Surgical Meth Machine. So this is this is the fifth installation of, of just uh, Burroughs and uh, Brion Gisson type cut-ups of, um, once again, a Black Mirror thing where, like, look, yep. this is what we're actually hearing every day. Yes. This is what you're actually going on, on your computers and hearing. Uh, do you like this? Because I don't, you know. So it's it's purposely meant to be annoying, and I've been doing that for about twenty years. I like the way you, you nestled it in between, because yeah, it does come on pretty strong in between the song with the title "Victims of a Clown." So we can all we don't have to guess who you're talking about there potentially, and also something uh, probably the most profound title uh, of any of the songs on the new album. We're tired of it. Yeah, well, that that comes right out of, uh, of the the four chan um, cut up that I did, and and we are tired of it. Um, mm-hmm. And Burton Bell from Fear Factory actually wrote the lyrics to that one. Uh, he was around for the whole recording process. We're old buddies from about twenty years, you know, yep. ongoing. And uh, and 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 he happened to be uh, his schedule was perfect to where he was off at the time, so he was just hanging around the studio, basically being a pest. And I finally just said, well, fucking do something. And so he came up with these <laughs> lyrics uh, after hearing, uh, he, he was there while I was working on the cutout for this and then came up with that. And it, uh, I think it just absolutely nails it. We're tired of it. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, now I have prepared some questions about what's going on in the political sphere in 2018 for you. So I'd love it for you to, I'd love to get your take on some of these things here because I know, here's my first question, I know you've been vocal in your support in the past of Elizabeth Warren, however many find her claims to Native American heritage coincidental only insofar as it seems to help her advance her own interests as a public figure. So 
for something that is so hard to substantiate and carries with it a very personal sense of obligation to a community, what's your take on her claims to Indigenous heritage and why do you think that's even important if voters predominantly focus on policy? Well, okay, let, let's get back to the system again. Okay, mm. so in order to get uh, elected, uh, you have to tell white lies here and there and all that, and I'm not saying that, that it is a white lie, that... Um, you know, she is or is not Native American. Who the fuck cares? How many lies does Trump tell in a fucking single given moment, let alone uh, something that, you know, okay, well, I heard stories that my grandfather was a Cherokee chief or something like that. Whatever. What is your policies going to do for the individual, you know, wh while you're voting? Well, we're voting for Trump, which lies every other minute out of his mouth. And also in instituting policies that don't benefit the people that are voting for him, at least Elizabeth Warren. I can overlook that. Uh, you know, I don't really mm. fucking care how many porn stars Trump fucked or how many banks he's <laughs> fucked and this and that. It, this, this really doesn't matter to me. It's, it, it's very similar to me like the, the Me Too movement that is going on right now, yes. which is like, um, once again, let's get back to the system. I don't really fucking care who grabbed whose ass, uh, who looked at whose tits, who said the wrong thing, who came on too strong after a bunch of alcohol and a party, who did this and that. That's not what the Me Too movement should be about. The Me Too movement should be about is why women get paid 73 cents on the dollar, why women hold no positions of power, whether it be in business, industry, entertainment, whatever. Uh, the, the, the problem is, is, is why are men from birth with our educational system taught to feel enabled that we are able to do this stuff. So men aren't doing anything wrong because that's what we've been taught that it's okay to do. Mm. And when, you know, go around um, being like the only way to get ahead in life is to be a subservient and, and to latch on to somebody famous and all that because they have no possibilities of their own. They have to, like, latch on to a man. This is the system that's creating this stuff. So when we start trivializing it and getting into, like, who grabbed whose ass or, or who said what, is Elizabeth mm. Warren Indian or not, is, is, is Trump a serial rapist, liar, misogynist, you know, racist, uh, you know, all, all this shit. What kind of system produces these people that makes us vote for these people? Mm. And, and the system is what's sick. It's, it's not the individuals. We're trivializing the whole thing. This this goes back to, like, the 1960s where, you know, uh, the, the, the marches and the rallies in the 60s and the civil rights and, and, and the gay rights and, and, and all these wonderful topics that needed to be discussed were discussed and then trivialized to where all we got out of the 60s was Woodstock, LSD, pot, and bell-bottoms, mm. you know? Uh, yes, and a you understand, in, yeah. And incremental, a few incremental cosmetic changes... Uh, you know, to where, uh, you know, you could have uh, a, a white guy kissing a black girl on TV, like in 1965, with James T. Kirk on the Starship Enterprise and Uhuru. I mean, these are all cosmetic changes. We, we never really get to the bottom of what causes this system, because they want to obfuscate and divide and conquer the people, especially through social media now, which is just like a weaponized... This is more powerful than a nuclear weapon, as we found out, that we've turned the age of information into the age of disinformation. And so people are completely fucking confused, as if they weren't confused enough already. So, 
we, we're not getting to the issues and we still aren't, which is what's scary. Like, like just, just the fact that, that people are talking about like whether Elizabeth Warren is a, an American Indian or not hmm. shouldn't matter. What is her policies? What does she want to do? And, and does she have the power to actually pull that off? Does she have the capabilities and the wherewithal to steer a, 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 a Congress in a democracy uh, to, to, to bend to the will of the people instead of bending to the will of, of uh, special interests. So yep. these, are, these are topics that we need to discuss instead of all this trivialized chatter, this white noise that goes on, you know, in your head day and night. And this is, this is part of the agenda by the ruling class to make sure that people yep. are divided and conquered and fearful of their neighbors. If they don't look like them, then you should be fearful. Divide and conquer. Keep the people in fear and keep the people preoccupied with how many likes they get on sharing yeah. a video mm. of a rat taking a shower or a cat playing piano as opposed, you know, while, while you're worrying about how many likes you got on sharing some kind of trivial thing, they're taking away our benefits, our pensions. Do um, you understand what I'm saying? This yeah, is, I this get is it, yeah. You mentioned something really important there that I'd like your opinion on further, okay? So you mentioned the ruling class. You know, a lot of people hypothesize, and I don't want to... There's buzzwords out there. There might be Illuminati or whatever it might be, but is there a system of governance above the American Congress that is controlling things, in your view? Oh, absolutely, without without a doubt. I mean, this this has been proven over and over, but, but like... uh, it, it's just like uh, since the media is controlled by the same people, um, yes, they, they release little nuggets and tidbits of things that are actually happening, like secret space programs, like moon bases, like, uh, hmm. you know, reptilians, alien visitations, this and that. Yes. And, and, and but what they do is they release it in, in nuggets and tidbits and then, and then um, poo-poo the whole thing, just like, oh, isn't this clever? This is almost as funny as a rat taking a shower the fact that we have moon bases on the far side of the moon and things like this. Hmm. You know, they, they try and trivialize everything when all these things are actually happening. I'm not a conspiracy nut freak, I swear to you. It's just that, that you know, it, it's just like that, that what they do, what they teach us in history, our education system is so fucked up. From day one, not only do we, like, you know, uh, slant the system against women, but we also... Um, teaches things like, um, you know, if, for instance, sciences, like, okay, archaeology-wise, they've disproven almost every theory that we have in our history books. So history mm. is completely suspect. And, and you wonder why people fall for fake news on social media. It's because we've been trained uh, since day one of our education to believe in fake news. So, of course, we're going to believe in all sorts of crazy conspiracy theories, but when actual scientists start coming up with, like, look, we invented carbon dating, and we can carbon date this to be like civilizations were here 200,000 years yes. ago, yep. not 6,000 years ago, yep. this and that. So we're, we're from birth, and, and religion reinforces that with their, like, you know, Jesus walked with dinosaurs, and the world was created in seven days, this and that. These are interpretations by primitive people that we're still going by, and we haven't updated anything. This is, once again, what I'm railing against is the system that we have created or allowed to be created by certain few. So I'm with you completely when you say you're not a conspiracy theorist, because I believe you, neither am I, okay? But there is just it's just so obvious that 
there has been some sort of extraterrestrial influence in our in our application of technology and i'd like to ask you this question on that point okay so how much influence do you think from i don't know how else to describe it because i don't want anybody who's listening to the program to say okay i'm going to say you but you're a pair of conspiracy nuts and you're talking about things that can't be proven but the the rise in the application of technology but they have, but they have been proven but they have been proven that's the thing that they want us to make us think they want to make us think that it hasn't been proven and this is all conspiratorial theories but these things have been proven i mean if if why, why do you go by carbon dating for certain things, like archaeology, for instance, like like Lucy, uh, mm. the, the the primate, uh, yeah. you know, the, the the Homo erectus that was basically the mother of our, you know, evolution. Uh, that's okay. Carbon dating works for that, but it doesn't work for like the flood lines on the sinks, which make it at least twelve thousand years older than what they've already established. So, mm. you know, they, they, they just confuse and obfuscate everything. So these things actually have been proven. So, you know, yeah. let's, let's be careful when we say, you, you know what I'm saying? Okay. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I just, because, you know, you and I are of the same, cut from the same cloth in the way that we think. And if I try to have these sorts of discussions outside of talking to somebody like yourself, you know, I can see people's eyes glaze over and they start looking at the corner of the room waiting for me to finish whatever I'm saying so that they can change a subject <laughs> you know well, that's the story of my life mate story of my life <laughs> but yeah I, I i truly i truly believe that that's why i'm not trent Reznor and i don't have a big mansion on the hill when all shit is because when i start speaking people just just roll their eyes and go in the corner and go when is he going to be finished Oh, well, well, mate, you can talk as much as you want with me, you know, but hey, I wanna, I'm going to take another right-hand turn. I'm going to ask you about Robert Mueller because I saw you with a T-shirt on only recently on the Nuclear Blast video that was released to YouTube. So his indictment of 13 Russian operatives for interfering in the US election is contributed significantly to the following. So the Russians paid, so I'm going to throw a few figures at you, so apologies here. There's only two or three, but still. The Russians paid... $46,000 to Facebook for advertising prior to the 2016 election. So that really means that that's how much effective financial contribution to the election or to trying to change the election, if we want to put it that way. $1.25 million has attributed has been attributed to Russia's internet research agency monthly spend on its election influence campaign overall. So if it's $46,000 to Facebook, overall, Mueller's um, uh, committee, I think, worked out that they spent $1.25 million overall. However, leveraging that against the combined spend of the Trump and Clinton campaign overall, which was listed as an incredible 100, sorry, not 100, 81 million dollars. So my question to you, Al, is this: Is Mueller's prosecution akin to a witch hunt if you were focusing only on those numbers? Well, first of all, those numbers are are a lot larger for the Clinton and Trump campaigns. They're, they're each literally around a billion dollars, thanks to Citizens United, a Supreme Court decision. Mm. But uh, what what Russia's doing is basically taking things out of the American playbook that they did in the 1950s and 60s in South America. They realized that an armed response was too costly, uh, which which they forgot about when they decided to like invade the Middle East and occupy, because conquering is a lot different than actually governing. And and they found out that that's too expensive, so they just conquered just for the fuck of it. Uh, to use some of the weapons that we've, uh, you know, spent all this money on, uh, 
But um, what what we did in South America in the 1950s was was exactly the playbook that we set up for the Russians to do to ourselves. So I just figure it's karma. But the whole point is, is that all this is just like fun and games for these people. In the meanwhile, uh, look look what's happening in Yemen and Syria right now. I mean, these people are fucking suffering, man. Yeah. While we're playing war games, like like theoretical war games. It, it, this reminds me of a scene from like The Omen Two, where uh, uh, you know Damien, which is now running a large corporation, is just like, okay, let's start a famine here because it'll make more profit here, correlated through trade, and uh, and these are the kind of things that like uh, places like uh, people like Monsanto and shit do. Like, okay, let's start uh, this here and this here. Like, what's going on in Cape Town, South South Africa now? is mind-blowing, and nobody's picking up on it because everybody's worried about who Trump fucked and what porn star he paid off. Hmm. Cape Town, South Africa is out of fucking water, mate. So here's the deal, man. But now now they've, they've, they've because of, of um, water restrictions, they've now made it through Ju- July 9th. is now called the Zero Day, which, by the way, I'm working on a song that I'm going to release called Zero Day because we are really approaching Zero Day mm. to where any inhabitant of Cape Town, South Africa, a city uh, of 3 million people, has to go to the Army checkpoint to get water for the day if they want to remain in that region because of, like... Um, bad zoning, bad planning, um, all sorts, of, and of course climate change, which of course is brought on the drought. But these people literally are allowed ten gallons a day of water. Okay, yes. and that includes bathing, washing, eating, and all this. And this is a major metropolis. Now, Los Angeles has been in a drought now for ten years. Um, you know, yeah, one year last year was okay and it was great, and everyone says, "Oh, the drought's over." No, it's not over. Uh, because of the environment and the policies that we've instituted. So um, now, you know, okay, so Cape Town, uh, according to Trump, is, you know, it's in a shithole continent and this and that, and so nobody should pay attention. But don't you understand how that correlates to other major seafaring cities and metropolises Mm. like Los Angeles that we are going to hit zero day very soon in Los Angeles as well? Mm. It may not be imminent. And that's, that's what politicians do. They only want to look at the imminent. Everything is reactionary as opposed to, like, forward... Yeah, totally agree with that one. It is its own our government. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all fucked up. But once again, it gets back down to the system, which is what this whole album's about and, and what we mm. should be thinking about instead of all the, like, you know, he said, she said, who did what, when, where, you know. Uh, let, let's get to the fucking root of the matter here, man. Let's take out the cancer, not the cyst. Mm. Okay, final question for you. Okay, and I'm actually going to ask John if we can link up again because I've only touched the edges here on the questions that I've actually got prepared for you. But, um, mate, my final question for you is that according to Vice Motherboard, Obama's administration sold more weapons than any other since World War II. And many were sold to the Middle East, especially Saudi Arabia. Now, you've been keeping up with things, so you'll know that what's going on in Yemen and the like is bit of a skirmish between them, well, it's far more than a skirmish, I shouldn't use that term, between them and Saudi Arabia. But Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2009, ironically, and very few, if any, left-leaning artists and celebrities have said anything in public about this. So that's one contentious issue, but what's your take on Obama's legacy? 
Well, okay, here we go again. Um, okay, we can point the finger at Obama and that he allowed this to happen, but the reason it had to happen was because of, of Bush's policies uh, right before that to start war in the Middle East to where everyone got freaked out and paranoid to where they all had to defend themselves. And don't tell me that Boeing and, and Northrop weren't like shilling their arms, you know, all the arms dealers, fanning that paranoia and, and building a powder keg in the Middle East. And it's not Bush's fault. It's not Obama's fault. Hmm. It's the military industrial complex's fault. You, like, like we said, do you think these presidents are actually in charge? They're just figureheads. I mean, we can point yes. the finger at Obama oh, at the chronological yeah. dates of like when, when weapons were sold, but those weapons were sold because of policies that were set up for Bush by the military-industrial complex, which made people paranoid enough to do that. And, and like, Trump is not in charge. And, and all these people, they're not in charge. We're all railing against the wrong people. Trump is just really low-hanging fruit because he's such a, a caricature of, of, of such a heathen of a human being, um, almost reptilian in nature with his lack of empathy and lack of curiosity. Um, it's incredible, but we, we fixate on that instead of what creates these people and these scenarios. And so, once again, I, I can't comment on Obama or, or Bush hmm. anymore. And I, I spent a large chunk of my life commenting on Bush, really thinking like he was the problem, and he is not the problem. Neither is Trump. Neither was Obama. Okay, there you have it. Well, I better end, mate, because I know somebody else is going to call you pretty soon. But look, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, thank you so much for creating the wonderful music you have. Uh, you've enjoyed an outstanding career. Long may you reign and keep on releasing the albums that you do. And here's a final thought. I'd love for you to team up with uh, Jello again and do something under the Lard Banner because Pure Chewing Satisfaction, that's another album that's right up there for me. I would love to do that too. But listen, Andy, I, I, I was serious about the fact that if you ever... Well, that's it. That's my conversation with Al Jorgensen. I would love to reprise that discussion and dive deeper into Al's thoughts on many matters that occur throughout the world in 2018 and beyond. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and you've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast.